Welcome to r slash pro revenge, where OP forces his stealing aunt to pay $400,000. This happened about five years ago. My grandma was getting old, late 80s, early 90s. She had one wish, to not die in a senior home. Easily done, as my grandpa sold some assets way back when, then invested the money and let it ride for 30 plus years. He never touched it and collected a pension. Way back when my grandpa died, about 10 years before this, my grandpa appointed my dad, my sucky aunt, and my uncle as the trustees of the trust. Basically, the trusted advisors for her and her care for the foreseeable future. All was well in the beginning. Then my dad, Willie, moved further away and couldn't take care of the day-to-day -day upkeep as the trustee and to see that my grandma was okay. My aunt, Rebecca, told her that she and my uncle, Fred, who lived in Arizona, could take over and all would be fine. It was fine for a while. A few times, my dad went back to visit and noticed my grandma didn't always have overnight care or that her mail wasn't picked up and the driveway wasn't plowed. She also lost her cable TV and newspaper subscription. My dad figured it just lapsed, so he had the services put back on. My dad also noticed my grandma was eating moldy food at times because her truck was sold and she had no transportation. She drove up to 90 years old. She basically just chilled at the house alone and did crossword puzzles. The craziest part of this is that my aunt only lived two miles from my grandma, but my grandma told my dad she saw Aunt Rebecca once a week on Saturday for about one hour. As with the elderly in age, my grandma passed away. She did get her wish and was able to die in her home. Upon her death, things started to get real interesting. Once the probate lawyer got her children, my dad, aunt, uncle, and another estranged aunt, Becky, around the table, some shady business started to come out. My aunt Rebecca asked that everyone just forego any audit or paperwork and they just sell the house for around 400k and divide up the remaining bank account balance of roughly 400k. So just signing on the line, each sibling was to get a check for $200,000. Not too bad of an inheritance. My dad thought that was somewhat a little rush. He said at the time that he wanted to wait because my grandma's house was easily in the 600k range based on size and location. My aunt exploded in his face, cursing at him and calling him all kinds of names because he was unwilling to sign the assets then and there. She basically wanted a quick close while everyone looked the other way. My dad ended up leaving the room after the screaming and the deal wasn't signed that day. It took nearly six months before another appointment and they were all back at the table. The thing is though, when you're a trustee and the person dies, the funds and access to financial accounts are all under heavy scrutiny until the beneficiaries are made aware and sign the final papers. At the next meeting, my dad went in there with no intention to sign the deal. He got his brother, my uncle Fred, to agree that they audit the entire accounts going back five years. When they demanded this again at the meeting with a lawyer, my aunt ended up arguing that a forensic audit would cost $5,000 and it's a waste. Like, what difference does it make? Two beneficiaries requested it, so it was what was going to happen. The audit report showed up about three months later. Here is where it gets good. My dad began looking over the audit report and saw that it was full of holes, like excessive monthly food costs for a 90-year-old lady. Payments made for car services for a car my grandma no longer had. Many different things in there that just didn't add up. 
My dad asked me to give the audit a second look, so I spent Saturday night going over it. And here is some crazy stuff I found and alerted my dad about. Costco monthly food costs of $1,100 to $2,000 for the last four years. Telephone bills for six cell phones. Grandma has a home phone only. Gasoline for a truck my grandma didn't have for like four years and easily 400 bucks a month. House repairs paid to my aunt's husband who owned a construction business. Some of the house repairs were like $16,000 for a new roof, new garage doors, home security system, which she didn't have, etc. All inflated prices. Grandma paid for my aunt to go to Europe twice on vacation. My grandma was paying my estranged Aunt Becky a stipend of $2,000 a month for the last five years, as well as her deadbeat son for $2,500. Every month they were paid. All grandkids were to be paid a lump sum of $10,000 upon their 30th birthday, as that is when the $50 check from grandma stopped for all the kids. Guess who was paid out? Her kids and my estranged aunt's kids, but not me or my siblings. My grandma gave loans to my aunt Rebecca for her husband's construction business in return for equity in the company, which amounted to nothing. These loans totaled over $200,000 over three years, right around when the housing bust happened. They also sold her assets like jewelry and whatnot for cash because some big ticket items simply vanished from her house. Armed with all this, the next probate meeting was interesting. In the time between my grandma's death and the third probate meeting, my aunt's construction business filed for bankruptcy. So that $200,000 in equity grandma had simply vanished. The probate lawyer was also somewhat concerned and makes it obvious that this was fraud and breach of fiduciary duty, where my aunt could actually get real prison time. After this, the negotiations were much more favorable. My aunt got nothing, literally zero. My other aunt only received $25,000 after all the stipend payments. My father and uncle shared the rest after all grandkids received the $10,000 payout. The house sold to the first offer for $520,000. That was the regular revenge for any treacherous jerk that ripped off grandma and had her eating moldy food. Here is the pro. My aunt probably felt pretty bad that she couldn't supplement her lifestyle with grandma's money anymore, but that was the least of her worries. Since she tried to personally rip me off for $10,000, I took it personally. I don't care how tough you are. The IRS is the scariest thing that can happen to a person. Nobody wants to have their money forcibly removed. I did a little research and found the 3949-A. I also had the audit and the legal office could and would provide the full trust if requested or demanded by the IRS. I don't know if it ever was. So I photocopied my documents, had them notarized, and sent off the info to the IRS. I felt like it went nowhere. Then, maybe 18 months later, I was notified and asked to come to the IRS building for an appointment in my city. The agent went over all the details, what they found in their research, and then they asked for a sworn statement. It turns out my aunt didn't declare something like $1.2 million in additional income over five years. 
<laughs> and as such, she owed the IRS around $420,000 plus penalties. There was no way she was going to pay that on a teacher's pension. And after her husband bankrupt his business, her house was sold, her vehicle sold, and they left the state. Now, my aunt and uncle live in a depressing desert town like this in the Southwest. The IRS paid me around $60,000 about three months after the appointment. She should have paid that $10,000. <laughs> so, OP is referring to a special policy with the IRS that most people don't know about. If you report someone for tax fraud and the IRS collects, they actually pay you a commission of, I think it's like 15%. <laughs> Guys, do not mess with the IRS. Our next Reddit post is from Apple Fruit Spice. I was bullied relentlessly from the third to seventh grade by multiple people in my class or upper grades. After I graduated eighth grade, I received a Facebook message from Andy, a boy who had been bullying and harassing me from the very beginning of it all. I would post the exact message, but it was extremely vulgar and long. He ended it by saying that since we would never see each other again, he could put it all out in the open about how much of an idiotic, ugly, and loser I was. Of course, he used a more colorful dictionary with those words, but you get the idea. However, there was one problem. My parents owned a large wood chipper. Andy's father owned a tree cutting business and would often rent it from them for much larger jobs. During the summer, I noticed him walk in and start talking to my uncle, and I realized the golden opportunity I had been given. I loaded Facebook on my laptop and bring the message up. I then approach his dad and tell him, your son sent this message to me a few days after graduating, and I think it's really important you read it. He raised an eyebrow at first, but took my laptop. As he read, I could visibly see his face turn blood red, and his hands shook as he gripped the sides of my laptop harder and harder. I think he reread the entire thing over again just to make sure what he was reading and even clicked the profile to make sure it had indeed been his son who sent it. Finally, he gave me my computer back and told me he was so sorry for his son's behavior and language and that he would most certainly be dealing with Andy the moment he got home. It took two months for me to hear back about the fallout. Andy's older and way nicer brother, Grant, was friends with my sister, who told her and then she told me. Andy was grounded for the entire summer, fall, and winter break. His parents canceled the trip he was going to take to the beach with their student youth group at church, canceled his summer camp trip. They're going to hold him back from getting his driving permit for a full year, took away all his games and computer, Instead of going with his dad and brother on their hunting trips, he would be sent to his grandparents' house to help clean. His social media passwords were changed so he didn't have access to them, delete his Xbox account, and Andy would have to work for his dad doing tree cutting the entire summer and winter holiday. <laughs> there were more punishments, but I honestly could not recall them. I ruined his life for a good two to three years and destroyed the relationship he had with his father and mother. Probably not forever, but they certainly no longer saw him as their well-behaved youngest child. It was so satisfying. 
<laughs> That's a pretty good revenge, don't get me wrong. But when you said that your dad owned a wood chipper, for a second, I thought that you were gonna feed that kid into the wood chipper. I'm kind of glad you didn't. That would have been a little extreme. Our next Reddit post is from Apps or Coolio. I was working for an advertising agency, a pretty big one, and I had an unethical manager. Well, when I started out, I had a manager who was one of the most unethical managers I've ever dealt with. He'd order his sales reps to do things that would increase his bonuses, which are based on margins. For example, say a client decided to buy product XYZ and their spend was $2,000 a month. He would want the agent to put up products ABC and keep the spend at $2,000 even though the client didn't agree to that. The fact is, clients generally wouldn't notice, but if they did, it could cost you your job. I was the guy that refused his demands. He would tell me to cheat the client and I would refuse. He would get mad. I wouldn't care. This went on for quite a while. Now, there is something I don't tell people very often. I live in a one-party consent state, which means as long as I'm aware a conversation is being recorded, I can record it without informing the other party. I had just upsold my largest client, making him even larger, but I didn't sell the products my boss wanted me to sell. He demanded I switch things around. I refused. I told him I sold the client XYZ, that's what we agreed to. I'm not going to change without the customer's permission. His exact words were, F the customer, this is your largest client. I need him on ABC or I'm not going to make my number. I'm sorry, but you and I both know ABC isn't right for this client and that's why he didn't buy it. You're fired. If you can't follow instructions, you're fired. After confirming he was dead serious, I said, If you do that, I'll have your job by the end of the month. I went home. I didn't think he'd go through with it. Sure as anything, next morning, I'm locked out of all of our systems. I call tech support and get told I've been fired. So who do I call? I call our regional vice president and tell him I have several recordings I think he should listen to. Remember, my boss ordering me to do unethical things wasn't uncommon. So I met up with the regional vice president and play six different recordings that I had saved showing my manager was pushing his agents to break the law. To which my regional vice president leaned back in his chair and let out a sigh knowing he had to fire my manager. Having a sales manager that is forcing his reps to break the law is just bad business. At which point, I asked for my job back. He agreed that I would get my job back and asked me to take the week off and call him on Monday. He told me he talked to payroll and make sure I got paid for this week as well. For your information, he fulfilled all of his promises with me, although I missed a payday but got back pay later so I was fine with that. That Monday, I came into our Monday morning meeting in which regional vice president was there. He informed the entire team that my boss had been fired and why. He also mentioned that if anyone wanted to apply for his job, there was now an opening. So I applied for it and after three rounds of interviews, got my promotion. Sure as anything, I was right. I did have my boss's job by the end of the month. It was glorious the first day walking into his office and sitting in his nice, big, comfy chair. 
<laughs> my first order of business as the new boss would be to send an email to my old boss, thanking him for this thoughtful promotion. Our next Reddit post is from Deleted. So this happened a couple weeks ago, but I saw the result of it earlier today. A bit of backstory, I live in a predominantly Mormon area and I'm not a Mormon. I received quite a bit of criticism from my across the street neighbor because of the religious difference. I'm assuming we never interacted before he started messing with me. He currently has 10 children. About a month ago on trash day, he told one of his kids to kick my trash can over into the street. The kid did it and I witnessed everything. This is not the first time he's kicked my trash over and I figured it was a lost cause to go over there and ask him for some decency more than I already have. That same day, I was reminded by a friend about how I used to have a pen pal when I was younger before I moved. Later that night, I was browsing the web looking for a pen pal when I stumbled across a cool sounding site, prisonpenpals.com. I visited the site and after clicking through a few dodgy links, was brought to an array of different prisoners who were looking for a pen pal. After doing a bit of browsing from there, I stumbled across a fellow who was on death row for first degree murder. Feeling bad for this guy, but not wanting to give my address out. You send an email, the guards print it out and give it to the prisoner who then writes you a letter and delivers it to your physical address. I remembered the butthole across the street. More out of curiosity than malice, I proceeded to write a very detailed letter about how I am a trapped, secretly gay Mormon man with 10 kids who is looking to start an extramarital affair with a prisoner. I put in his address and send. I had my hilarious, petty satisfaction. I expected nothing to come of this. I thought he would be going through his mail, see the letter, not open it, toss it, and think nothing of it after that. But boy was I wrong. Of course, with it being a small town, this guy runs a small business here where one of my acquaintances works. I went in just earlier today and chatted with my acquaintance before he told me, oh my god, did you hear about neighbor? I said no because I hadn't, and he filled me in on all of the details. Apparently, one of the neighbor's kids had brought in the mail, only for his wife to find it and read the letter from this prisoner responding to the joke letter that I wrote. I don't know the specifics of the letter, but I do know that his wife threw a freaking fit when he arrived home and made him pack his bags. My acquaintance informed me that this was not the first time neighbor had started or tried to start an affair with another man. And apparently this was the last straw for her. I'm still shocked, horrified, and extremely amused by this predicament. <laughs> this post from the Zap Zuppins down in the comments. That poor first degree murderer. He won't get a reply from his nice friend, the gay Mormon man, frowny face. I found out today that my revenge was complete, so I came here to share it. My neighbor, who we shall call Christy, would report us to the HOA for literally everything she didn't like. Trash can still on the street at 5pm on trash day, reported. Kids bike outside while kids are still playing, reported. Didn't mow this weekend, typically I do this Monday nights, reported Monday morning. Dog barking at 2 in the afternoon as she and her dog walk on the path behind our house, reported. 
In many cases, these were not issues covered by the HOA, but due to repeated reporting, the board did fine us and I had to go spend the evening waiting through a two hour meeting to have them removed. This kept happening and was driving me nuts. Both my wife and I spoke to her and tried to find out why she felt this was okay and she told us, you just need to do a better job of being a good neighbor. Fast forward to early this summer. She posts on a neighborhood website sharing a video about the anti-vax movement. In general, the replies are pretty aggressive about telling her she is full of it. But she keeps pushing back, leading to a super long post about how we're all wrong and we should listen because she's a doctor. She signs it, Dr. Christy last name, naturopathic physician. At this point, I am mostly just wondering what the heck any kind of doctor would be against vaccines. This made no sense to me, so I started digging. I did find that Christy was listed as a doctor on sites where you could find physicians. I dug more into what exactly a naturopathic physician was and found that in my state of Colorado, they are regulated and are required to maintain a license to practice. I checked into it and found out the following. One, Christy was not in the state database as a naturopathic physician. Two, the board who regulates it has an online reporting tool. At this point, I took all the information I had, grabbed screenshots, and checked my timeline and reported her as claiming to be a naturopathic physician when she was not. I then followed that up with this post on the neighborhood website. This is a hot button topic for me, and because of that and Chrissy signing her post as Dr. Last Name, I had to dig some. I, for one, am a huge fan of including whole person treatment. I think doctors of osteopathic medicine are wonderful as they work to integrate whole health into the picture with well-researched medical best practices. Naturopathy less so, which is the problem here. One research article here breaks down a lot of the issues quite well. It's almost 13 years old, but still quite good at explaining the valid concerns. I further checked as Colorado does regulate naturopathy and I could not find any Christy last name listed there. My thought was that it is entirely possible that she holds a license to practice in Colorado and my search wasn't working. But even just searching her first name or zip code or my town or town near us provides no results for Christy last name. At this point, Christy locked the post and later deleted the entire thing. I was pretty dang happy that she removed the post, but today it got better. In the mail, I received a copy of the cease and desist letter that Christy received from the state about a month ago. It told her that she must cease and desist her practice immediately. <laughs> OP, obviously you should report her to the HOA for running a business out of her home. Our next Reddit post is from Dwasafar. Back in the day, I worked as an independent IT consultant and was hired on along with another independent to subcontract on a team for a major consulting house. We'll call it consulting house. Everyone else on the team was a consulting house employee. The two of us were not supposed to tell the client that we weren't part of consulting house, but the client figured it out pretty fast because we independents were doing most of the work while consulting house's code monkeys were busy filling out spreadsheets all day and going on team building exercises. But I digress. The project ran past its initial deadline and my contract expired. I stayed on a week-to-week -week basis as a professional courtesy to get the project finished because I like the client, if not the team. 
Unfortunately, the consulting house project manager was booked somewhere else for his next gig, and they brought in a new guy to replace him. Let's call him David Stress. David flew in on a Monday morning to get the project handed off to him and immediately started pissing on everything to Marcus territory. He was derogatory and belittling to the team and liked to raise his voice. I was working in my office, well, actually a closet with folding tables that I shared with three other team members and didn't hear what he was saying out in the main office, but I could sure hear his tone. Then he burst into the office and demanded, how are we doing specific payroll related conversion task? I said, we're using program X. He waved his hand dismissively and scoffed. That's stupid. Program X won't work for this. You need to do something else. The other indie was in the room at the time and she saw me coming up out of my chair. She told me later she thought I was going to deck him. I knew he was full of garbage because I wrote program X. It was custom code for this project and he had no way of knowing what it would or wouldn't do. He was just trying to bully me and be the alpha dog. I didn't deck him. Instead, I went to the client's payroll manager with whom I'd been working closely for months and who was driving the client side of the project. I laid it on the line. I said, look, I know you know I don't work for Closing House. I'm here on an independent contract. That contract is up and I've been working here week to week just to get you guys through. She told me she was aware of this. Okay, this new guy, David Stress, is a bully and a blowhard and I won't work with him. I have no contract at this point and with him running the project, I won't be back next week. I'm not asking you to do anything specific about it. I'm just letting you know as a courtesy so you can plan to transition my work to someone else. She sat back in her chair thought a moment and said, okay, thanks for letting me know. Two hours later, David Stress was removed from his new position. The payroll manager faced with losing the one technical guy on the team who actually knew what was going on with a very complicated payroll system, called Closing House and said, we don't want this new guy, take him away. Closing House rearranged some things to keep the original project manager with the project. The funniest part of the whole thing was that Consulting House had scheduled a welcome dinner for David at a posh steakhouse that evening. Rather than create further embarrassment of canceling the dinner, they actually went ahead with it as a farewell dinner for David, who had been on the project for less than one day. It was fun to watch him try to put on a brave face for that. <laughs> OP, what I want to know is, did you tell this guy that you were the reason that you got him fired? Because, oh, that would have been so tempting to do. Oh, by the way, jerkface, I wrote Program X, so I knew you were full of garbage. And I was the one who got you fired. See ya. Our next Reddit post is from Hi Internet Friend. I put a trampoline in my backyard in early 2017. I have three young boys and we have enjoyed it immensely. My neighbor, the HOA president at the time, went to sell his house in spring of 2018 and his realtor said the trampoline in my backyard might be a detriment to getting top dollar for his home. So he convinced the neighbor on the other side of my house to complain as well. Out of the blue, I received a message from the HOA property manager that the neighbors complained and I would need to submit a form to get it approved. Intermission, what's sad is that I was friendly with both of these people. They had been in my home. They could have talked to me face to face. 
with one of the neighbors. I paid for our shared fence at her request, since her neighbor on her other side wouldn't contribute to their shared fence. Another board member and another piece of garbage. I would have been willing to dig a hole for the trampoline to hide it more or purchase a new one with elastic bands rather than springs to make it quieter. Both of those options are cheaper than getting a lawyer. But nobody asked. Nobody came to me to have a face-to-face, heart-to-heart discussion about their concerns. A few ironies. These are five bedroom homes. Clearly, people with kids are going to move in and they're going to be noisy in their backyard with or without play equipment. The guy who sold his home smoked like a chimney. I don't think my trampoline should have been his top concern. The guy who ended up buying his home are a great family with two kids who don't care about toys in other people's backyards. My neighbors have raised kids to adulthood, one of them two very active boys. When I pointed this out to her, the words that actually came out of her mouth were, I know it's challenging to raise boys, but we're at different stages of our lives. As if that justified her trying to screw me. Back to the story. I filled out the form and sent it in. The architectural review committee denied it a month later. I appealed the decision and met with the board in August. They sent me a letter and said it was in violation. I asked which rules it violated. They never sent me a letter, so I asked again a week ago. The property manager was adamant that she had sent the letter, but I asked for proof. She forwarded an email where she put my name in the to field after the fact. I had a strong suspicion it was after the fact due to the following reasons. An HOA meeting was mentioned that never took place. The responses to my questions varied in color, indicating they had been edited at different times. She responded immediately to my request for proof by indicating she would forward the email, but then took an hour, presumably editing a draft she never sent. She cited a rule early in the email, but then cited an additional rule later that superseded the first. The first cited rule could have simply been omitted. The message was not marked as forwarded message at the top, and the sent time didn't include seconds. None of these things are a smoking gun, but they're suspicious. I asked the other people in the to field if they received a copy of the email with my name in the address field. The only honest member of the board replied he hadn't. The rest remained silent because they didn't want to look like they and the property manager dropped the ball. Intermission. If you're curious why the board didn't like my trampoline, here is the rationale provided in the letter that was never sent. Due to the close proximity of the homes to each other and the small yards, the trampoline is unsightly to the homes surrounding it. Realtors for those homes surrounding you have stated that it is a detraction to selling homes and is lowering the home values of those around it. There have also been neighbor complaints regarding the noise level, which makes those homeowners unable to enjoy their homes. They are also unable to use certain portions of their homes while the trampoline is being used. My kids all weigh under 35 pounds. They go to bed at 7 p.m. and don't jump on the trampoline in the morning before 10 a.m. My neighbors bought homes 10 feet away from mine. What did they expect? Back to the story. The year-end meeting was scheduled for yesterday and four board positions were up for election. I got three of my friends on the street to run with me. I went door to door every day for a week and spoke with the majority of homeowners about their discontent with the street. I got a third of the community to sign proxy forms stating that I would vote on their behalf. 
I went to the meeting last night and put these fools on blast. I listed calmly all the ways the current board was failing the community and my plan to right their wrongs. My vote was a landslide in favor of myself and my friends getting elected. One awful board member remains, but he is the minority. We fired the property manager who was uncommunicative and flat out dishonest. The trampoline endures. The only bummer now is I have to manage a street which includes some legit crazy people. But this whole episode has convinced my wife that we will never live in an HOA again, which I count as a huge victory in addition to the trampoline remaining where it is today. OP, that story was looking a little dicey for a while, but I'm glad that you managed to bounce back. Our next Reddit post is from PME Shrek Boobs. After I broke up with my ex, I would keep tabs on him. Rumor, hearsay, friendly whispers, and public social media posts alike. Due to the threat of violence, he'd occasionally post something about burning down my house, or he'd text a mutual friend and try to figure out where I'd move to. So I felt justified, and we live in a very small town, so gossip flowed like honey. In reality, I was assuaging my anxiety by exerting what little control I could in that particular area in my life. Everything ended up documented for legal reasons to give it more legitimacy. At the time, friendly custody talks had broken down into, we need attorneys to mediate. And due to the fact that I wouldn't release my daughter into his care without a custody agreement, I started to receive threats from both him and his family. Mostly along the lines of, if you're gone, the baby will be ours. One specific threat that still sticks with me was to burn down my apartment building, prompting me to move. My social worker slash court-appointed attorney never received the requested documents for custody, so my concerns went from legal issues to my own physical safety rather quickly. After a while, it went from so-and-so is threatening you online to did you hear that so-and-so got kicked out of where he was staying for trying to sleep with his roommate's 12-year-old cousin? And so-and-so isn't allowed near this person's 14-year-old daughter anymore because they caught him texting her nudes. I heard about three different young girls who had possibly been victimized by this dude, which was believable. He had pursued me when I was 19 and he was 26, and I look very young for my age. We broke up in part due to him being arrested for, quote, minor sexual crimes. All of these girls were coming from slightly trashy families with run-ins with the law, so he probably knew that the adults around would be wary of reporting him. So I reported him and all the online handles I knew he used to the mother effing FBI. Straight up went to the center of missing and exploited children on his butt. Not two months later, I get a message from someone saying, did you hear that so-and-so got arrested in a sting? He had been trying to sleep with this 12-year-old girl offline, and when he went to meet up with her, it ended up being a setup with the state police or something. He caught extra charges thanks to the whips and handcuffs he had in his backpack. Now he's in jail and a registered sex offender. If he had just not threatened me, I never would have paid attention to gossip concerning him, and he probably would have gotten away with his garbage for years. Hello, my name is Chris Hansen. Why don't you have a seat right there? That was r slash pro revenge. And just a reminder, I have a merch store. You can find the link down in the description.